This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. I am your host, Mark Lautenschlager, albeit without my voice again, but I am here this week. Uh, and joining me, as always, is our pastor of education, Reverend Sam Kastensmith. And uh, Sam, you've done a great job with Will over the last few weeks, but the only guy who is more, or should I say less interested, in recording a podcast uh, than a guy with cancer is a guy who just had a baby. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Will is at home uh, with baby and Morgan healthy. Everything is amazing. Uh, t- so grandparents have gotten to meet the baby because they weren't allowed to go to the hospital like they're doing exceptionally well. So congratulations, Will, if you're listening. Um, good work, Papa. Yep. And Mama, who had some difficult times at the end and powered through it. Um, the whole family is just overjoyed and Everybody that knows Morgan and Will or Tom and Beth, we're all overjoyed also. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it could not happen to a more exciting family to see them get into that path of parenthood. Um, yeah. I just feel like they're both going to be exemplary parents. I'm, ex- I'm really excited for the future. Yeah. For that them. kid is definitely blessed. I'll say that. That little girl's blessed. I was talking with Tom about what his grandparent name is going to be, and so he's he's. Obama. It's funny to listen to him. Well, he's talked about that because the, he's Dutch, going back to kind of the the home country and going with Opa and Oma, which I that's that's my preference. Then I asked then I asked Will's dad, "What do you want to be called?" And he says, "I don't really care until they can talk." <laughs> <laughs> you can tell he's Will's dad. Uh, that's funny. Well, I will say that. Um, from a very young age, uh, my uh, niece, Elise, started calling my mom and dad um, B-Say and Dit-Dad. And we have no idea where All that right. came from, but that's what she called them. And so that's what her sister, Lexi, calls them. And that's also what Elise's children, Bo and Dean, the great-grandchildren, will call them. Hmm. Um and yet, with my kids and my brother's daughter, Anna, we were always just like, call them grandpa and grandma. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. You know, don't, uh, don't make up unusual names here, you know. <laughs> That's different. I've never heard those names before. So, well, you know, it's sweet in that it was, it was somebody before she could speak, mm-hmm. yeah, before sure. she came up with names. Those were names by which she called her grandparents. And so all of that is very sweet, but it does put you into a, it's kind of a different situation. You know, it's like, are those names going to stick? Well, you know, my parents are in their 80s. Elise is in her 30s. And there's two generations of kids calling her that. So (laughs) I guess the answer to that would be, yes, it will stick. So. 
All right. So, so the the bigger thing beyond yes. this is you're finally back. That's that is uh, really awesome. Been looking forward to this, being able to sit down and do a podcast with yep. you since all of this unfolded. Yeah. And as our as our audience knows, uh, you, we gave brief updates in the weeks that you were gone, but the audience knows that you've been diagnosed with some rather unpleasant, unwelcomed news yeah. that's been hard to process. So uh, this episode is going to be us talking about that, yeah. your experience, you know, how to do this as a as a Christian man who loves Jesus and has gotten something really difficult on his plate and and how do you how do you walk through it? And yeah. so you're kind of living it and so that's what we wanted this this episode to be about. So And I think that that's and the reason that I suggested it and you agreed to it so easily is that um, I think that people come to their pastors and and elders and other religious leaders at church, and they'll in in time of of terrible crisis like this, like having metastasized clear cell renal carcinoma, which is like the worst thing you can hear. Um, hmm. They'll come to talk, and then they'll be like, "But you don't know what I'm going through." You don't know what I'm facing. How can you give me advice like that when you don't know? You know, uh, that just like you don't even know what I'm, what it is I'm up against. And so, I've you know I've come to say, I know what you're up against. <laughs> hmm. I do, and it's not easy, and it's not going to be fun in any way. Um, but it doesn't change what my answer would be. If I was a guy that didn't have this disease and I was talking to somebody who did, my, my advice and counsel to them would be the same as what mine is now. And so what, what is that advice you'd give, Mark? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Going through puberty again. <clears throat> I, I have no idea why my voice has gotten so bad from this, but it just has. My voice has been awful and um, there were times for a while where it seemed like it might be coming back, but I don't know now that it will ever come back. I think this is probably the voice that I'm left with, which is discouraging because I one time had a passable singing voice. And, of course, everybody's heard me on this podcast over the years knows that I had a good radio voice. Um, but uh, God has chosen to – God has seen fit in his sovereignty, uh, to decide that it will be otherwise for me. And so that's what I, that's what I deal with. Um, so first of all, I would just like to kind of, um, you know, take people through the, the timeline a little bit, only because I think it's useful in that uh, some people – consider the way that they were told and the order in which things came out and, and how things were explained to them to be one of the most difficult parts of this. Um, I had, uh, I'd, I'd been a heart patient. I'd, I don't know if everybody remembers walking through that with me, but in 2019, um, I was a heart patient that was eventually diagnosed with congestive heart failure and uh, put on medications taken into cardiac rehab, and I did fantastic. I came out of cardiac rehab much thinner, in great shape. 
I could walk as far as I wanted. I could breathe as well as I wanted. Everything was great. And I thought, honestly, Sam, I thought, I've got my life back. God has given me 10 years of my life back. This is better than, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to sound flip or glib, but having a heart, congestive heart failure is the best thing that ever happened to me, or hmm. so it seemed at the time. And maybe it was, maybe it was that flip attitude. I don't know. Um, but shortly after I finished all of my rehab for uh, cardiac, you know, somebody let fly with a, a bat virus from a supermarket backdoor lab, whatever. I don't know. In, in China, I don't think we will ever know where this thing came from, honestly. And I'm not going to get political with everybody, but I don't think we are ever really going to know where the coronavirus made its break from, other than to say that it came out of Wuhan, China. And so it did, and it closed the world down. And during that time period, um, I regained all the weight that I'd lost. I yeah, I remember uh, you were going, being diligent about exercising and going yeah. to Holy Cross and getting on the machines, machines, and that shut all that down. Absolutely, man. I was there for rehab three days a week, and then when that finished up, I had started. I was walking all over my neighborhood, and I, um, I was getting. Uh, I joined a gym, and I was you know starting to work out with a physical mm-hmm. trainer there. I remember that they you'd signed up for extra classes or whatever at Holy Cross and. They were requiring you to wear a mask and all that, and then they shut everything down. Or well, that if was, I'm remembering right. Yeah, that was actually the second time. Okay. Um, because what in, what ended up happening is I I went back in to see my cardiologist at one point at the end of all of this, and he said, "You know, you're you've put on a lot of weight again." And I said, "Look, all I'm asking for is a chance. Give me another run through cardiac rehab. Let me go. I'll I'll get back to where I was." And so he did, and it wasn't at all the same. Um, first things I had to I had to uh, have a mask on, which that's a big deal. <laughs> um, the second thing was that, I, you know, no matter what I did, I it seemed like I was unable to progress anything. I wasn't able to get any better at breathing, any better at working the machines, walking. I, was, I wasn't picking up in any way on exercising. I didn't lose weight. I didn't lose waistline. Um, it was just me hitting my head against the proverbial wall. So then, um, you know, we come out of that time of cardiac rehab, and we went to Gainesville. This would be December of 2021 for my son and daughter-in-law's wedding which was awesome, wonderful, fantastic. Unbelievably glad that I was able to attend that. But I knew the whole time when I was there, something was wrong. Something was wrong. And I knew that I was going to have to deal with it, you know, when we got back. So we got back. I had a terrible cold that I had caught from some of the people at this, at the wedding. Uh, some of the people that were staying in our house even. And so I, I got through it and realized I'd lost a bunch of weight from this cold that I'd had. The doctor had to give me two rounds of antibiotics. 
all, some other things. And, I, and I'm, I'm realizing, hey, I've lost all this weight again. Maybe that's what I needed was just a really good cold and I'll be okay now. But that wasn't the case. It didn't, it didn't continue in that vein. Um, so long about the 1st of April, I decided that I was going to have my second COVID booster. So I've had two vaccinations, two boosters. I had the second booster. It, um, it just didn't feel right. I was having problems afterwards. I was having symptoms that felt as though I actually had COVID of all the weird things. Um, I was having shortness of breath. I was having loss of taste and appetite. I was having just the whole run of COVID mm-hmm. symptoms. My doctor said, well, it's, it's, it's not common, but it's not unheard of for COVID to create for the, the vaccination, mm-hmm. the vaccine, to create a situation where you get this milder form of COVID where it only, each thing only sticks around for a couple of days, but you do kind of go through everything. It's an immune system reaction. Yeah. We talked about that on the podcast. We I did. can remember you saying, I have COVID, not COVID. Right. <laughs> yeah. So at that point, I said, well, I should probably go in and see my, uh, my general physician and have a, a physical just to make sure there's nothing going on. So I scheduled a physical with my doctor. At the same time, um, I noticed some very low blood pressure and some very low blood oxygen levels. Mm -hmm. And I called my cardiologist, and he said, get yourself in here right now. (laughs) He's a very very serious man when it comes to the hearts of his patient. So he brought me in, did an EKG, tested me, and said to me, "Uh, Mark, you seem fine. You know, your heart heartbeat is good. Um, you know, blood pressure is nice and low and all these things seem normal. I think that whatever's going on with you, it's not your heart. Okay, that's good. So it's back to the regular doctor waiting for the results of these physicals. And if you've ever seen the results on these health portals to the physicals as they come in, it's like you see all of your results listed in sort of tabular format. And they highlight in red the ones that are out of balance, out of whack in some way. And on my results that day, Sam, there was more red than there was green paper. Hmm. It was just, it was like red everywhere. And so Dr. Manzi, my my general physician, started saying, okay, we're going to get this checked and this checked and this checked and get that ruled out. and get the, You know, he's doing what he's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And as part of it, I was having a lot of breathlessness. He said, we're going to get you a chest x-ray to make sure you don't have pneumonia. So off I go for the chest x-ray. I had that on a Friday, I think it was. Yeah, Friday. And on Sunday morning, my phone rings. It is never a good thing when your doctor calls you on a Sunday morning. Never. Nope. Um, And he said, uh, you need to go see your pulmonologist tomorrow we're calling his office now to make sure they understand how serious it is you need to go see him tomorrow (laughs) so i did get in to see him tomorrow the next day and he said have you seen the x-ray i said no so he showed it to me and the right lung looked like a lung now it had some disturbing things 
little nodules and and bits that didn't seem to have, didn't seem to belong there. So okay, you're there. You are. You're you're uh, you've got this right lung that has some spots we're worried about, but it looks like a lung. The left lung was a small sort of black round circle that was pushed way up in the chest cavity. And that's what my left lung looked like. It looked like a grape on the end of a, of a stem. And hmm. uh, I became obviously very concerned. <laughs> and so the uh, pulmonologist said, okay, well, you're going in tomorrow. A lot of things were happening tomorrow in those days. You're going in tomorrow and getting something called a thoracentesis where we extract the fluid from your chest. So they took this fluid out from my chest, um, and it was on the first pass there, it was 1.25 liters. That was the first time, which is, not, you know, it's, it's more than a liter of you know, fluid, not quite, it's not two anyways, but it's, it's more than one. And uh, when I saw it there in the two bottles, it was pretty disturbing. So we had that removed. And that was a weird experience because as you're taking breaths after that, your lung is opening up kind of like one of those, uh, you know, fair balloons from the fair that are made from mylar that you can kind of crumple them up and inflate them again. And mm. they'll inflate but not smooth like a rubber balloon does. They, they sort of crackle their way open. And that's what your lung does when it's been deflated for a while. Um, so got all through that. And then he said, but it's this other stuff that I'm worried about. He said, I'm worried about this, this mass over here, these spots on your lung. He said, we need to get a better look at those. So what, what proceeds from there is he says, okay, you're going to get another thoracentesis. Then I want you to have a CT scan so we can get a better look at that. At this point, like, you're, what are you thinking? You're confident. What are you expecting to come from this? I am pretty confident at this point because, you know, and here's, if you want to know my dumb, dumb thought processes, I'm thinking, dude, you've already been a congestive heart patient. How are you going to be a cancer patient also? Hmm. Yeah, this will be something you can get past. You know, this is, you've got fluid in your chest or something. They'll figure out why and you'll be better now. Um, so I had the second thoracentesis which removed 1.7 liters. So now we're up to uh, 2.95 liters um, out of there. And, and this is all just fluid that's in the sack around your lungs pressing into where you can't breathe. That, that is correct. It's in, it's in my chest itself, but it's a, called a pleural infusion, a pleural effusion, EFF fusion. And it's pressing against my lung and shortening my breath. So they draw out this another couple of fluids, a couple of uh, liter plus of fluid, and they send me downstairs for my chest x-ray. I get that done. And I come back to see my pulmonologist. And at the same time, my doctor, my general doctor, had called me and said, hey, Mark, um, your alkaline phosphatase is out of line also. We have to check that as well. And now, at that point, Sam, that's when I started saying, uh oh, that's a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and he said, so the two biggest reasons for your alkaline phosphatase to be out of whack is either 
kidney disease, or li sorry, liver disease, or cancer. I looked at the symptoms of uh, liver disease, and there were about eight of them. I had one, alkaline phosphatase elevated. Hmm. So what that's telling me is everything about that means cancer. It doesn't mean liver disease. But they had a liver ultrasound done on me anyway. And as part of that, you know, just because this could be cancer, um, they do this a little bit wider sweep and get, they get a quick ultrasound of the kidneys while they're there. So I come back in to see the pulmonologist. He sits down with me and he says, Mark, your kidney's entirely normal. And he says, and that's the last good news I have for you today. Hmm. Your said, kidneys are normal or your liver? I'm oh, sorry, my, your liver. Thank you for yeah. that correction. That's very important. Your liver is normal. And that's the last good news I have for you. So now I'm starting to panic a little bit. I'm getting a little shaky. And, you know, my wife is there with me. And he's telling me we have to get this, you know, uh, we've, you know, we've looked at the CT scan. We're seeing these masses in here, uh, these nodes in your in your lungs, these masses of stuff that's growing along your chest wall and your ribs. Um, and on the ultrasound, we saw a large mass in your right kidney. And he said, "So here's what we're going to do: we're going to biopsy the mass in your chest." We're not going to bother biopsying the kidney at this point because if we biopsy the chest and we get renal cell carcinoma, we know what's going on. You don't mm -hmm. need a second biopsy. We know what you have. Okay. <laughs> so a week later, I come back and I see for the first time Dr. Nagovsky, who is my oncologist, but I was coming to see him for a hematology consult because I have persistent anemia as well so i have this consult with him where i said you know doc i don't know what's going on with all of this anemia stuff but this could all change based on the outcome of a biopsy i had last friday that no one has given me the results to and he said no one has given you these results i said no no one has and he said okay i can do that for you so he pulls it up on his computer and here's what I hear him say. Oh. Again, when your doctor just responds with, oh, hmm. that's not good. Um, and all of the medical professionals I have been around, when they've asked me what my diagnosis is, and I tell them my diagnosis is metastasized, you know, uh, clear cell renal carcinoma, they all say the same thing, which is either, I'm sorry, or, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, it's just, that's mm -hmm. a cancer that scares everyone. Because it's already metastasized. So it's already stage four. It's already as advanced as it could get. Hmm. So, he then starts to explain this all to me, what's going on with me. And he goes from being my hematologist to my oncologist. And things just start to progress from there. Um, the, you know, that was the 15th of uh, July. On the 16th of July, 
I get a phone call in the afternoon. They said, you have severe hypercalcemia. You have to go into the hospital. And so I said, right away, can't wait till Monday. And I said, well, if you don't, you could die. <laughs> All right, I'll go now then. Thank you for those choices. <laughs> I'll go now. So off I go to the emergency room at Holy Cross. And uh, they take me in and they put me on this uh, intravenous medication, which I responded very well to in terms of my calcium levels in the blood dropping. And apparently, so now for, for the people who are listening, hypercalcemia, did you that's when you have way too much calcium in your bloodstream? Did correct. you know why there was so much calcium in your bloodstream? Did you put that together yet? No. Uh, well, okay. our, at that point, I kind of assumed that everything had something to do with the cancer that I'd learned about yesterday. Mm-hmm. But it's coming, it's coming one day after the next is how yeah. it's coming. And so that, um, you know, you've got this severe hypercalcemia, go to the hospital. I went to the hospital. I got onto the IV system. They're pumping me full of these, of these medications. And I'd had a little bit of pain in my left leg and hip. But I was still ambulatory until the day before I came in the hospital. As soon as I took in this medicine, I immediately became non-ambulatory. The pain increased by a factor of maybe 75%. It was just nuts how much worse it got. Um, and, you know, even more than that, it was, it was probably 200%. It was just because I ended up with two kinds of pain. If I was sitting or laying down, I had pain in my hip and my leg. If I was standing up, it felt like you had taken one of those sawzalls from a construction job and you were trying to cut my leg off with it. It was just unbelievably painful. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I'm, I'm, you know, something worse is going on. Um, by the time I got out of the hospital and was able to get back home again, I'd been in the hospital for eight days. I had become incredibly weak, so painful, so much pain that I was just, I, that's what I really kind of cratered was when I came home and I realized that I couldn't stand up or walk. I couldn't get out of chairs anymore, that I was going to become bedridden until we did something about this. And so that's what's happened to me now so far is that I have become bedridden. I, I have a hospital bed in my family room. Um, have a very nice aide that comes in several days a week and looks after me. Uh, my wife looks after me the rest of the time. I have a physical therapist that comes in here a couple times a week and works with me. But I am essentially bedridden. And I'm hoping that will improve, but I don't know uh, that it will. So that's kind of where I sort of hit rock bottom in terms of the bad news and after that, it's just been like, okay, yeah, I get it. Hit me again. You know, I'm, I'm down here on the ground. I'm not going anywhere. Whack me one more time, won't you please? Hmm. Um, and so that's led me to a lot of uh, having to be very serious about how I considered my relationship with God. Um, 
You know, one of the things that you've, you and I have talked about on this podcast for a long, long time is this idea that we are not entitled to any specific kind of life. We're not entitled to an easy life. God is not some heavenly Pez dispenser that will come around and hand us candy whenever we're interested. Mm-hmm. Um, he will, you know, he will do as he pleases with us because we are his creation mm-hmm. and he's entitled to do that. And so that's a difficult position to find yourself in mm-hmm. of, of having to say that not just to the people that you're giving counsel to, but to yourself. Now you're talking to yourself. And since there's no mirrors where I'm, where I'm ha- anywhere handy here, I end up getting the uh, selfie cam out and looking at myself in the, in the front lens of my camera on my phone a lot and having those little conversations with myself. Asking, okay, what do I really believe? What, what's, what do I think now? Where, you know, how do I, how do I accept this from God? You know? Um, and I had a lot of opportunity to talk with people who were very shocked to hear it because it just came out of nowhere. And I had the opportunity, quite frankly, uh, to give testimony to how I believed that God had been so good to me my entire life, that if, in fact, this didn't wait any time at all, but this took me in a week, that I couldn't complain. I could not stop and say, I didn't get as good a life as I deserved. I couldn't have an attitude about it at all. God had done for me far more than I ever expected he would, far more than I ever asked him for. You know, um, my wife of 36 years, my kids, both grown and married, and, uh, you know, out of the house, you know, my friends at work and the guys at church and just all of that was, if you put that on one side of the ledger and you put, you know, tomorrow's it, you're dying from cancer. The, the cancer part wouldn't even make the ledger move at all. Hmm. Um, and that's genuinely true. But the second thing that it made important to me was it made the resurrection really important to me. <laughs> and that's the other thing you and I have talked about is how mm-hmm. in years past, all of these different, you know, godly men, these disciples, these 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 forefathers and, and leaders in our church over thousands of years, that they have all looked and talked about the resurrection more than almost anything else. Yes, of course they talked about the crucifixion. They talked about the payment for sin. Those are all things that, if they are not there, none of this works. So this is all amazingly precious stuff. But we just tend to blow past the resurrection you know what does the resurrection mean oh well the resurrection means that you get to have uh, a Christmas Easter egg party you get to dress up nice and go to church and have your family over for dinner no Hmm. that's not what it means what the resurrection means is that when you are standing there staring at the end of your own life you get to know there's another life waiting just there for you also. You get to know that death is not your destination, that you will not be overcome by this, that one second after you die, 
you're going to be just as good as you've ever been. And the resurrection is a powerful medicine for any fear of death. Um, it, it took away, you know, and I don't, I was never really afraid of dying, but that was easy for me to say that because I didn't know what I was dying from. Now I know what I'm dying from. I, I, and I know what my prognosis is, and it's not good. You know, um, I'm taking some great treatments. I'm, I'm being infused every three weeks with Keytruda. I'm taking Enlita, which is a, another very advanced medicine. Uh, the, that's going to be delivered to the house tomorrow in the mail, and I'm going to start taking it. And um, I hope that when we do the next PET scan, that the cancer is far more difficult to detect and that we say, hey, we gave this a pretty good shove back. Now, we're going to wait a little while before you do it again, but we'll hit it again and see how far we can shove it back. And we'll keep doing this with you until it doesn't shove back anymore. That'd be hmm. great. I'd like to see that. That yeah. would be nice. That's yeah. worth praying for, people. It is. It is. Um, I would love to do the podcast for a while yet. Um, I would love to have some semblance of my voice back. I don't know if that'll ever happen. <laughs> but um, as long as people can understand what I'm saying, I guess I'm okay with being this horse guy that nobody really knows what he's talking You know, I'll tell you how bad it is. All of those iPhone commands, those fancy, hey, Siri, do this for me. Hey, Siri, do I have any messages? Siri totally won't respond to me anymore. <laughs> really? Will not you, answer me. Hey, Siri. Like, hey, you're Siri. Yeah. You're definitely ho- hoarse and maybe breathy or I don't know what the right word is. But I, I think it sounds worse to you than it does to anyone else. Like it's not – I forget it. Like I feel like we're just having a conversation. I honestly, it's – Except for Siri. <laughs> Siri's like, <laughs> She's I don't know who this guy is. Yeah, she is. <laughs> And her voice translation's not really worth very much either, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. So, um, so here I find myself uh, just upheld in my faith so much by thoughts of the resurrection and struck by so many different things that happen right away. I'm one of those guys, and I don't know if you're this way too, Maybe not, because you're more of an upfront teacher than I am. But I'm one of those guys that, that I do what I do because it's my job. I need to do it. Um, I create the podcast because it needs to be created and because I love doing the podcast. Mm-hmm. I never stop to think about whether anybody likes what I do. <laughs> I just do what I do. And it's out there. And when people come to me and say, I love the podcast, I'm like, that's great. Uh, do you want to go to lunch? You know, I'm like, I don't know what, to, what else to say, you know. And what has happened since my illness came to light and people have heard the news about it is that people I have barely heard of in our church that, that just, I mean, there's a lot of people that talk to me all the time that have come forward to me and said, hey, I want you to know how much it means to me what you do with your writing and the personal worship stuff and the podcast that I want you to know how much that means to me, how much it affects me every week. 
And I kind of get that because they're, they're close friends. Mm-hmm. But people that I barely know, that I might have seen once, coming up and pouring their heart out, or in my case, since no one comes up to me anymore, since I'm a shut-in, sending me email. Everybody knows my address. It's marketrevisitchurch.com. And I have received some of the nicest, hmm. heartfelt emails you just can't imagine. Um, I have been brought to tears multiple times by the things that people have composed and sent to me. Um, and I so appreciate them. So that's been something that happened to me right away in all of this, is that everybody out there, all of the, all of the, the Rio guys, the staff members I'd worked with all these years, they were like, hey, you know what? You need help getting in bed, out of bed, in a wheelchair, to the doctor's office, in the doc. I mean, you and Mason and Will literally lifted me and placed me on an x-ray bed so I could get my spine injected with a lumbar. Hmm. And, I mean, you had to take the morning off from work to do that. And That was a fun outing, by the way. Yeah, it was kind of a fun outing. Um, And I don't know if it was fun for you, but (laughs) it was was for a good cause. It was better at the end than the beginning. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It helped the pain a lot. Didn't get rid of all of it, but it helped the pain a lot. So... All of these things, you know, I got to experience the the hands and feet of God, basically. You know, we talk about that and we say, you know, be the hands and feet of God. This is what you can do for somebody. Be God with skin on for them. God has commanded you to look after your neighbor, to look after your, your brothers and your sisters, to look after people in your own family and and especially those in your own church. But God has, has commanded you to look after all of these people. And so that's what we do, you know. And having that done for me, I understand better than ever before how encouraging it is and how much it means to me and how much it will mean to others when you do that for them. Um, and I think the other thing that it's done for me is that it's forced me to spend some time, you know, kind of, as I said, looking at my face in my phone, because that's the only mirror I have, um, which, by the way, is absolutely hilarious, because since I got sick, and that's been months now, I have not trimmed by razor the hair on my head or the hair on my face it's a Nazarite bow it is unbelievable <laughs> I have such You're like long Samson and such a long beard yeah but I'm like reverse Samson I think yeah I guess that's I yeah. guess I should shave all that off see? <laughs> hey maybe maybe your strength will return my strength will return if I've got shaven head and so forth he, and I might he shave looks it like a, the Flanagan's cup people yes, it's, just... I, it's just ridiculous I know <laughs> but it's just something I don't really have a lot of time for so I just sort of live with it you know Anyway, um, I said all of that to say that in more subtle ways, I've, I've had an opportunity to examine my faith, to examine what I really believe and what that means, okay? If I believe 
that everything that happens to me is something God gives me to go through. That's great. Do I Now, do I believe that that's the bad things as well as the good things? Um, do I accept them patiently as I... The bad things as much as the good things. Um, it's hard sometimes mm-hmm. uh, because it's not the things that it's not the 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 really difficult stuff. Like Mark, you're in you're in pain and you're suffering, and I feel for you, brother. And I I wish there was something we could do for you, <laughs> and I believe that I, I believe people do want to help me, um, but. It is, it's more than that. It's the, it's kind of that little discouragement when you, when you can't eat because you're never hungry or you're nauseous all the time or you've got terrible heartburn or whatever. Every food you can think of is junk. You can't imagine any of it. You're, you're losing weight still at a prodigious rate. Um, but it's all just, you know, you know, you're losing muscle as well because you're not getting any stronger. So it's, it's when these things happen that I have to turn to God and say, I, you know, is this what, really what you have for me? If this, if this is really what you have for me, I'll walk it. I'll go through it. But man, I wish it wasn't. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish you changed your, changed your mind about some of these things. I wish that you would look at me and say, okay, he's had enough right now. Let's let him get up and walk around some. Let's let him ride in a car again, sit in a chair again. But that's not what has happened to me so far. And so what choice do I make? Do I say God has left me? God has abandoned me? God doesn't like me anymore? He doesn't love me anymore? I, I got it wrong. God's not there. Um, or I don't truly have faith. What do, what do I do with that? And the answer is what I'm going to have to say to the person who's sitting across from me saying, what do I do with this now? Is that we just accept it and live it and walk through it and we don't change anything about how we react to God, how we react to our brothers and sisters, how we you know, this is all part of God's plan for us, all of it. And mm-hmm. it's, it may be the hardest thing in the world for you to hear, especially when you're in the teeth of it. And I tell you what, it is hard for me to hear when I'm in the teeth of it. But I believe it. And so I will go. And so I will walk. And I will not turn aside, and I will not call him. You know, I will, I will not speak against him. I won't, I won't say that he, isn't, that he doesn't keep his promises. I won't do that because he does. I will walk it the best I can. You know, there's a song recently that has started to mean a lot to me. In fact, it usually gets played once a day here. And if I don't, if I don't, if I don't play it, at some point, someone will come out and go, I haven't heard any Toby Mac today. <laughs> <laughs> but 
there is a, a song that Toby Mac wrote. And he wrote this after the death of his son and after the songs of mourning that he wrote about the death of his son. And it was at a time when he believed he was never going to write any upbeat songs again. And one day he, he, you know, he went into the studio and started playing around with this, these words, lyrics, and music. And he came with, up with this idea of help is on the way. You know? It may be, you know, it, it may be midnight, it may be midday, but help is on the way. And the, the lyrics to this are so powerful when he, when he comes in and says, you know, some go for hours, some go for days, some have a lifetime of fallen tears, but he's in the darkness and he's in the cold, and just like the morning, he always shows. And, you know, it's, it is a song that is so powerful about God never abandoning us, and God is going to bring help to us. And it may not happen when we say it's going to, and it may not happen the way we say it's going to, but it will happen, you know. It will happen. Hmm. As Toby says, he going to stand by what he claimed. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great song. And I would recommend to anybody who needs encouragement that they take some time and listen to the last two or three uh, Toby Mac records. Maybe going back to just the one just before his son died and then all of them since. Because here's somebody who has been tested with the worst fire you can imagine. Hmm. And he has, he has never blamed God. Never blamed God. Um, so anyway, that was probably a lot longer than I expanded to go for myself. I talked about me for 47 minutes. Um, gee whiz. Needed to hear it. Yeah. So so now when you're coming, some people may have questions, and it's you know a lot of the questions come to to God's sovereignty. Yeah, and and I've talked with people who are who are they love Jesus, and when they come to a moment like this, they say you know God is not over this, God is not in control of this, and it really leads to two very uncomfortable conclusions. Neither one of them. are exactly heartwarming, but one would be to say that God is not in control and that this slipped past him and that the suffering that you're carrying somehow managed to escape his notice or his control, that he wouldn't have had this for you. Yeah. Um, and then that leaves you to despair that he's out of control. Right. Uh, but the other side of this, and this is the harder thing to swallow, is that God has put this on your plate, you know, and, and for reasons that are far beyond our ability to comprehend and when like you said when you're in the middle of the the questions and the tears and the pain and the thing the things that you can't even begin to imagine that there's a point to right um is to wrestle with the fact that he's put this on your plate and to come away with it saying you know what this god that i have served all my life that i have known and i've gotten to know his character inside and out i'm in tears yeah. And I'm struggling through this, and yet I know who you are, 
and I'm not going to speak against you, even though I know that with the word of your mouth, you could take it all away. You've done this for some reason I can't see. Right. And like you said before, you've you put this road before me, and I'm going to walk it the best I can. Right. If if you were talking to somebody else who's about to get that hard diagnosis, how do you how do you square all of that? How do you imagine God in this with all that you know of His character and and who He is to, to you and to everyone? Yeah. There's a <laughs> there's another song. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah. By another band called Shane and Shane. Oh, man. Though he slay me. Yeah. And it has a bit of a John Piper speech in it. Everybody needs to Google that. Yeah. But what the idea is, is that I will not waste my suffering. Don't tell me my suffering is meaningless. Mm -hmm. It is not meaningless. It has a purpose, but it only has a purpose if I accomplish in it what God wants accomplished. If I just take it and die, if I just, if I say God made a mistake and die, then my suffering was meaningless, had no Mm -hmm. purpose, you know? Don't tell me my suffering has no meaning. God is sovereign. He has decided this for me. And I will do what I, I, I will walk his road the best that I can because that's what he deserves. He's that great of a God. He's that good of a God. He's done that much good for me that I'm not going to look back and I'm not going to look down and I'm, I'm going to look straight ahead and face it all. And, and do I wish my circumstances was different? Yes. Of course I do. But God is sovereign and he is good. <laughs> and I am not going to let anybody tell me that what he's given me is meaningless. And it has no purpose. That would be how I would answer that question. Spot on, man. Amen, brother. Yeah. Do you ever do you allow yourself to imagine? Like, do you do you sit and think, what could he possibly be up to? What is he trying to accomplish in this? I do. I do. Um, And I don't come up with any good answers because it's just a lot of pain and discomfort. And it's a lot of work to other people. Um, I've met some great people. I have met Mm. some fantastic people. You know, the team that we've been building around me from, you know, the doctors to my own family to the the health aides, the the physical therapists, the, you know, it's like I'm meeting all these really wonderful people who helped me. Because they want to help me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, yes, I'm paying for some stuff and insurance pays for others, but there's not a single person there who I don't feel like genuinely wants to help me. And 
I am seeing so much of the good of people as opposed to what I think the rest of us see in the world. Mm -hmm. I am really seeing the good of people. I remember when I first came down here and was getting into ministry, I I went to the funeral of of somebody that I didn't know, but it was a a young person who was born with lots and lots of disabilities, and they required – Tons and tons of care. And as this young person was coming to the end of life, their circumstances and their needs just went through the roof. And so there was tons of people in this church, which is a South Florida church in Broward County. And tons of people were volunteering and coming over and helping the mom and, you know, spending time with this young, young, still a kid, but almost an adult and it just it required round-the-clock care. And I remember during the eulogy, and I'd never met the pastor who was delivering the eulogy, but he said, you know, a lot of people have asked why. And he just kind of pointed out, and he says, you're why. You know, this, and I don't even remember the name. I wish I remember the name. But, you know, this person bore these sufferings, and you know, oddly enough, God used it to heal you because I've seen people who had hard hearts begin to serve and mm-hmm. to love, and it brought our community together. And then he kind of pulled it back to Jesus. Can you can you think of someone else who bore lots of infirmities so that those around him could be healed? Yeah. And it was this really kind of wild thought that God would bring all of that, you know, suffering into the life of a young person who loved him you know, by all mm-hmm. accounts, and served him and sang to him and was joyful in all these disabilities. And that brought healing to the community because people started recognizing priorities. And, you know, I'm going to go over and I'm going to serve this mom and I'm going to yep. I'm gonna go laugh with this kid. And it brought out the best of them. They thought that they were helping to serve and bring healing to someone who was sick. And in reality, the reverse was true. Yeah. It was that malady that brought out the best in all the people around him. Yeah. And and you see that in stories like Job. You see it with the Apostle Paul and all through the scriptures where you look at suffering and you think, why on earth? And yet that suffering serves to heal and, and to do things for others. And no way did any of these people who were walking through that road of suffering could have ever seen it. And it's like, I don't know what God is doing with you, Mark, but I know that he doesn't waste suffering. And I know that he rejoices and is so incredibly pleased with people who can receive hard things from his hand and still yet, you know, like like Job says, though you slay me, yet will I praise you. Um, That is authentic worship when it comes and says your relationship is so precious to me that I will suffer and I will not let you go in the middle of the suffering because that is the precise kind of love that God has shown toward us, right? Yep. Amen. And will not forsake us, even though it costs him great suffering too. Amen. I know. It makes us precious to one another. It makes him yep. precious to us. It makes us precious even more so to him, I imagine, somehow. <laughs> you know, it's... It does. It does. And, you know... Guys that I've thought of just as being someone I knew from church, so on and so forth, takes on a whole different meaning when they're out huddled around your house and they've helped you with something and they're laughing and talking and we're enjoying each other's company. And then 
<laughs> comes out that the air conditioning's not working again. <laughs> we're going to have to call to get that worked on. And uh, Christian Acero says, well, you could just put your shop vac and or clean it out. And I said, what is this shop vac you speak of? <laughs> He's talking to the man who's never bought a rake. Or a shovel. <laughs> or a lawnmower. Or many things. So Brandon Reinhardt then that kind of does the same thing. It's like, yeah, you're just a little duct tape. You're all set. I'm like, no, no got shop vac. <laughs> well, Christian just lives around the corner. And he said, I'm going to my house and getting mine. I'll be right back. So off he goes. He comes back. And he and Brandon go out and clean out our AC drain and get the AC working again. Now, you know, you look at something like that and you think that was 10 minutes out of or 15 minutes out of their day. They did something that they knew how to do using equipment they already owned. And yet, from somebody like myself who helplessly keeps calling the service guy and paying 200 bucks for it, uh, you know. How do I not appreciate something like that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not the only example. It's happened time after time after time after time with people. Yeah. And um, I am I'm just so grateful for everybody, for everybody that has been kind, for everybody that, is, that has offered me help or service in any way. Uh, I'm absolutely uh, grateful. Yeah, you know – and one of the things I just want to say on behalf of the audience that I know is out there and the many people who come up to me and ask questions and want to make sure that you know, you know, that they're praying for you and eager to to know how they can help or serve you. You know, when you come across a moment like this, you know, one of the things in watching you and hearing uh, the way that you're processing this and, and really determined to be faithful, even when it's really hard and really dark, is, you know, you've spent your life – as an elder teaching right. and, you know, doing the never ending study of Romans and doing the podcast <laughs> and doing the personal worship. And it's like, you know, when you come across this and I'm, I'm speaking on your behalf here because I've seen it come out of your mouth when we've talked, you know, the fact that you have so devoted yourself to the word and getting to know him when the crisis comes, people think, how in the world can he say that? How can he process this so well? Uh, even though it's been hard, it's it's like you have so devoted your your life to getting to know the Lord that when the crisis comes, you're not looking for a, a proof text verse and maybe you know, open the Bible and God speak to me. It's like you know the Lord. You yeah. know who he is. Right. You know his character. And so when something like this comes, this is a, something that shakes you to the core, right? This is, yeah. this is life. This Absolutely. Is, this, is, this is all of it. Yeah. You don't like it. You don't know what he's doing, but you know he's good because you've gotten to know him. And I just want to thank you for like as as a you know incredible friend to me, and as somebody who is always talking to me about Jesus and showing me how he's more beautiful than I'd previously thought, and having these discussions, which I've said before, I'd do this podcast even if no one's listening, just because I love talking with you about him. <laughs> You know, really, yeah. I, I mean that. I, you know, it's 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 a great, it's not just great fun, but it's a great spiritual, you know, moment where we really get to, to yeah. look at God in the pages of His Word. And I have no idea what's what's coming in the future of of the pages that God has in store for me, 
but I know that whatever may come, and for our audience, I know that we will be better for having learned more about our Savior from you. Mm. And so I, I appreciate you, brother. You're a dear friend. Well, I'm going to continue you. praying through all this, and hopefully we got a lot more conversations to have about Jesus in the future. We do indeed, and I'm, you know, I'm going to be working very persistently at getting to the point that I can sit comfortably so that I can do this without having everything piled in my lap in the hospital bed in the middle of my family room. <laughs> because I'm trying to is, imagine this. This is a really weird thing. Well, maybe I'll have Tracy snap a picture and text it to you before I, <laughs> I get out of here. You, know? um, you figured Mark has, has his hospital bed is nicknamed Superbed. Yes, it is. <laughs> the only thing that it doesn't do, apparently, is a podcast studio. doesn't conform into a podcast studio. You know, with a couple of different um, if I could rig a couple different microphone holders, sure, it could. Yeah. I, there's a couple of add-ons I could build for this bed that would clamp on to the side in certain places that I could make this into a, a mo- mobile workstation. It would be nice. awesome. Well, folks, we hope you've enjoyed your time with us, that this has all been profitable for you. If you would like to correspond with us, Sam and I, we have an email address set up. It's out of water at riovistachurch.com. That's R-I-O, vistachurch.com, where you can also find all the back episodes of the Out of Water podcast at riovistachurch.com forward slash out of water. You can find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, as well as in our free Rio Vista Church smartphone app. Sam and I will be back next week with something different that's enough of a teaser to get you to come back, right? <laughs> we look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater. <laughs>